Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on August 18, 2019, on the basis of Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. Nearly everyone agrees that it's important to set priorities in life. And notice that I said nearly everyone. There's a man by the name of Greg McCune who is author of a book entitled Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And at least according to Greg McCune, that word that appears on the front of your service folder today, that word priorities, is a bit of a contradiction in terms. See, that word prior means to come first. So how is it really possible for a person to have more than one thing in their life that comes first? In fact, according to Greg McCune, he wrote this, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. From a certain perspective, you might say that the entire purpose of Greg McCune's book is sort of similar, at least on the surface, to this worship series we've been going through. His entire goal in the book is to help people identify what is truly essential in life. In fact, he sums up the entire book with this very simple diagram. You look over at the left side of that image, and according to McCune, this is how most people live. There's certainly a lot going on, right? There's a lot of busyness, there's a lot of activity, but there's really no rhyme or reason to any of it. It's one big jumbled mess. But then you look over on the right, and that's where Greg McCune is hoping to get you. There's still a lot of activity, there's still a lot going on, but it all revolves around one single thing, one priority that is right in the middle. That's a life with focus. And not focus in the sense of being the opposite of being unclear or blurry, but focus in the sense of a term that you maybe learned way back in high school geometry class. A a focus is a point around which other things curve. And so what is that one thing? One thing in life around which everything else orbits and compared to which everything else is peripheral. That's a life with focus. So as you look at that diagram, which of those two sides of the image would you prefer your life to look like? Maybe a better question is, which of those two sides of the diagram does your life look like? And don't worry, I won't make anyone answer out loud this morning. But as you think about all of the busyness and activity that no doubt takes up your time, busyness and activity that you probably won't even wait until tomorrow morning to get started on, but will get started on the second you get home from church today, As you think about all of that, as you think about the thoughts that are constantly swirling around in your head or the cares that are constantly weighing on your heart, is it all kind of one big jumbled mess or does it all revolve around one central thing? Is it a life with focus? I suppose someone like Greg McCune can help a person live a life with focus, and yet even a person who follows his book to every last word is still left with some very important questions. First of all, it's one thing to focus, but focus on what? What is this thing that we are supposed to put at the very center of our lives? Is it whatever we want? Is it whatever it is is most important to us or whatever we're most passionate about? 
And then second of all, even once we've decided about what goes in the middle of that circle, how do we actually put that into practice? How do we live in such a way that is consistent with what we have decided should be the focus of our lives? And in both of those cases, that's where the words of Jesus that are in front of us this morning are so much superior and so much better to even a a wonderful book by a guy like Greg McCune. You see, in these verses, not only will Jesus tell us to focus, he'll tell us specifically what we are to focus on, And then not only will he tell us what to focus on, but he'll also persuade us and convince us to focus on it. He'll bring our thoughts and our attitudes in perfect line with his thoughts and his attitudes so that what he wants most for us is also what we want most from him. That's what we'll see in these verses today as we see how Jesus offers us a life with focus. So what should we be focusing on? In these verses, Jesus sums it up as simply as this. He says, seek his, seek God's kingdom. You maybe know that in very similar words in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually says, seek first the kingdom of God. So this is to be our priority, not priorities. This is to be the focus of our life, the one thing around which everything else revolves. We might think of it in similar terms to what we talked about last week, that as we go through this journey of life, it's almost as if we are constantly carrying with us two suitcases. One is that biological suitcase that carries with it everything that we need for our bodily lives, and the other one is our spiritual suitcase, the one that has everything in it that we need to satisfy our souls. Last week, as we looked at Jesus' words that come right before this, we looked at the issue of what happens when I have an abundance of stuff. We looked at the temptation to fill not just one suitcase, but to fill both suitcases with our material possessions. We called that greed. This week, we're looking at the opposite issue. Not what happens when it seems like I've got a whole lot, but what happens when it seems like I don't have enough. What happens when I'm a little bit nervous that both suitcases might remain empty? What do I do? What should I do first? Where do I start? In other words, as we think about the 24 hours we get each day and the 365 days we get each year and the 80 or so years that we get here on this earth, where do we start? As we think about the limited and very finite resources that God gives to us, you've maybe heard the rumor that money doesn't grow on trees. As we think about those resources, where do we start? What comes first? Jesus' answer is very clear. He says, seek first his kingdom. And I'm guessing that doesn't come as much of a surprise to you, does it? It probably shouldn't come as a surprise. But that leads to that second important question. How do we actually put this into practice? How do we become convinced that this is how we should live our lives? Why should we put those spiritual needs ahead of our bodily ones? Jesus seems to understand that we're going to struggle with that question a little bit because really he spends the brunt of these verses trying to do that very thing, trying to convince us why what we should do as he says. So you could first direct all of your attention to to providing for your bodily needs, filling up that biological suitcase, you might say. But before you do, Jesus says, consider the birds of the air. And consider the flowers of the field. As you think about those birds, do you think that birds constantly feel tired and overworked? Do you think that birds just pile up more and more stuff in their nests so that at least once a year they have to have a little birdie garage sale just to unload some of the things that have come to clutter up their nests? No, probably not. 
as you think about the flowers of the field, do you think the flowers of the field are constantly stressed out? Do you think that alongside of those beautiful white and red and orange petals that come bursting out of their stems, there's occasionally a couple gray ones that, that come out there too because of all of the stress that they're feeling? No, I don't think so. And yet look at those birds and look at those flowers. The birds are always well-fed and the flowers are always beautifully clothed. You could direct your primary attention to that biological suitcase, but before you do, Jesus says, consider the last time that you went to the doctor's office just for a, a routine checkup. And the very first thing that they did, even before you got to your room where the doctor would see you, they measured your height and your weight. Say you wanted to change that height by just a little bit. Maybe you wanted to be a little bit taller. Maybe you've always wanted to be a little bit shorter. Do you think that you have any power to do that? Do you think that if you really worked and really worried and really stressed out about changing your height that you could, you could do that, you could accomplish that? Jesus says, if you can't even accomplish that little thing in your life, what would convince you that all of your working and all of your worrying could possibly take care of the rest of the things that you actually need in life? Is Jesus saying that we should all quit our jobs and spend the rest of our lives sitting on our couches? No, he's not. Is he saying that our plan for long-term financial stability should be to buy lottery tickets each and every day and hope we really hit the jackpot at some point? No, of course not. But the point Jesus is making is this, that when it comes to those bodily needs, what we are busy with is far less important than whom we belong to. Jesus says that the pagan world around us runs after those bodily needs, makes those things their priority, and why wouldn't they? In their minds, if they don't do it, no one else will. They assume that they are all alone. But you, on the other hand, he says to his people, you know that you have a Father in heaven. A Father in heaven who knows your bodily needs even better than you do, and a Father in heaven who can provide for those needs far better than you can. For those of us in the room who have younger children that are still at home, think about those children for a minute. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much ability do those children have to provide for their bodily needs? Or maybe another way to put it would be this. If you were to drop them off at home after church today and then just leave, and leave with the mortgage all paid up and leave with the utility bills all paid and the utilities running and even leave the fridge completely stocked with food, how long would it take before one of their lives is seriously in jeopardy? (laughs) Again, I'm not going to make anybody answer out loud. But if you think about it, the children among us, the children in our world should be the most stressed out of anyone, right? They have the least ability to provide for their bodily needs and yet we look at them and what do we think? They don't have a care in the world. Why? Because not for a single second are they foolish enough to think that providing for themselves is their own responsibility. They know they have a mom and a dad. Orphans run around worried about who will take care of them. Children with parents don't. When it comes to our bodily needs, what we are busy with isn't nearly as important as whom we belong to, and we have a Father in heaven. There's another implication to Jesus' words that he gets to next. See, when Jesus tells us that we should seek first his kingdom, that we should make our primary priority filling up that spiritual suitcase with everything that our soul needs, 
we might be tempted to think that we are relegated to a life where, yes, maybe those needs are taken care of, but that, that biological suitcase is probably going to be empty and we should just get used to it and we should just be okay with it. But nothing could be further from the truth. When Jesus tells us to prioritize filling up that suitcase, he actually, in the very same breath, promises that he is going to fill up them both. First of all, he says this, Have no fear, little flock, because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. In other words, the very kingdom that God wants us to pursue first as the priority in our life, that is the kingdom that he is most pleased to give us. See, when you and I think about our lives and go back to this diagram, really the worst thing is not when our lives look like the diagram on the left. All kinds of busyness, but no focus. Really the worst thing and the most tragic thing would be when our lives look like the the right side of the diagram, but we are focused on the wrong thing. A life that is full of constant worry is a focused life, but it is focused on the wrong thing. It is focused more on the things that we are busy with while neglecting the person that we belong to. And that makes it all the more surprising that Jesus would say what he says, that the very kingdom that he wants us to pursue is the kingdom that he is pleased to give us. That even though pursuing his kingdom so often falls so far down on our our priority list, it is and will always remain at the very top of his. What other conclusion could we possibly draw when we consider the price that he has had to pay in order for us to have that kingdom? That he was willing to send his son into our world. That he was willing to take the guilt of the entire world's sin and place it squarely on the shoulders of his son, that he was willing to watch as his son suffered and died for sins that were not his own. Of course, of course he is pleased to give us the kingdom. Friends, you and I would never need to worry for one second that if we spend our lives pursuing the kingdom of God that we would somehow come up empty because that is the kingdom that he most delights to give us. He delights to feed our souls with the love and the forgiveness, the peace, and the hope that those souls need, just like he feeds those birds. He delights to clothe our souls with the perfection of Jesus just as surely as he clothes the flowers of the field. The very kingdom he tells us to pursue is the kingdom that he most delights to give us. And then, oh, by the way, he says, and you know what, I'll throw in the rest too. Jesus says, seek his kingdom And these things, the things that you need for your body, these things will be given to you as well. See, the other beautiful reality of Jesus' words is that when we belong to our Father in heaven, everything that belongs to our Father in heaven also belongs to us. We might think of it this way. Right now, probably the wealthiest man in the world is Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos. He's worth an estimated $110 billion dollars. Let's say your plan for survival would be to get access to some of Jeff Bezos' wealth for yourself. And so you worked and worked and worked and worked and saved and saved and saved and saved. And every chance you got, you took that money you had saved up and you bought stock in Amazon.com. You know what? That might work. But let's say you had another plan. That instead of doing all of that work and all of that worrying, instead... You just decided to become part of the family. You decided that you were going to marry one of Jeff Bezos' children. 
Might be difficult to pull off, but if you did, can you imagine that? You would not need to work for a single cent of his wealth because all of his wealth would now belong to you. When you belong to someone, when you're part of that family, everything that belongs to them belongs to you. And friends, even more impossible than what I just described is what has really happened with our God in heaven for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, that we have been made members of his family. That as members of the church, we are the bride of Christ, which means that his father is our father, which means that everything that belongs to him also belongs to us. He says, seek first his kingdom, and I'll throw in the rest too. So are you convinced yet? Really, everything that Jesus has said so far sort of falls under the same category. It's all very logical. When we think about it with our heads, it all makes perfect sense. If God feeds the birds and and clothes the flowers, even though they don't worry, why would I worry? If all of my worrying and all of my working has very little impact on how my life actually goes, why would I worry? If I belong to a Father in heaven and everything that belongs to him also belongs to me, why would I worry? If he tells me to seek first his kingdom and promises to throw in the rest too, why would I not listen? All of that is very, very logical and it all makes perfect sense. But if you're anything like me, sometimes what's going on in your head isn't necessarily the problem. So many times we know the right thing. It all makes perfect sense, and we can agree with it and nod our heads. But we recognize that the real problem is what's going on in our hearts. And so Jesus doesn't just give us a whole bunch of logic for our heads. He also urges action for our hearts. This is how he concludes He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I think when we think about and talk about our hearts, we most often do so sort of in the framework of the fact that we have to follow our hearts. The heart wants what it wants, after all, right? And so we can ignore what our hearts want, I suppose, or we can follow them. Those are really our two options. And I suppose in a certain sense that's true, but it's at least as true that the flip side of that works just as well. Not only do we often follow our hearts, but we can very much tell our hearts to follow us. In other words, even if our heart is not completely into something, if we start pursuing a course of action, eventually our hearts kind of catch up and follow along in the process. For example, let's say you had some money lying around to invest in the stock market. Not stock in Amazon because it's currently trading at about $1,800 a share, I believe. But let's say you wanted to invest some money and you picked out a company and let's say you knew absolutely nothing about that company. You had never heard of it before. You had never used its products. But now all of a sudden you're putting some of your money into that company. Your attitude toward that company suddenly changes, doesn't it? Suddenly that's the best company in the world. Suddenly you're going to start trying their products and you're going to start trying, trying to convince your friends to do the same. Or let's say that you're one of the millions of Americans every year about this time of year who decides that they're going to play fantasy football. And as part of your fantasy football league, you're going to plop down $50. That all gets put into a pool and gets distributed as part of the prize money. The players that will eventually end up on your team are, in many cases, players that you don't know about, maybe you've never even heard of. They might even play for teams that you don't like and actively root against, but the second you draft them, To be on your team, suddenly you care about those players. You're cheering for those players. You want those players to do well. So not only do you follow your heart, but more importantly, your heart 
will follow you. And so that's why Jesus urges action. He says, just get going. Are you skeptical that you can arrange your entire life and order your entire life around pursuing that one thing, the kingdom of God, is your top priority? If that makes you skeptical, don't be. Don't wait to follow your heart. Tell your heart to follow you. So just start doing it. Start taking those 24 hours a day, those 365 days a year, those 80 or so years that you get, and arrange them all around, filling up that spiritual suitcase with the things that your soul and the souls of the people around you need most. Start taking those limited, finite resources that God has put at your disposal and start reordering them, arranging them around that most important priority. And as you do, with every decision that you have to make, with every sacrifice that you have to make, your heart will slowly but surely come along with the process. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, the worst thing in the world would not, to be, would not be to live a life that has no focus at all. The worst thing would be to live a life that has all kinds of focus but is focused on the wrong thing. And so thankfully Jesus rescues us from that life with, with logic for our heads and action for our hearts. He rescues us from a life that is focused primarily on pursuing those bodily needs. It's a life that's going to be full of worry and full of stress. It's a life that's going to be full of futility and frustration. And instead, he rescues us for a life where we seek first his kingdom and where he promises to throw in the rest too. He rescues us for a life where the thing that he wants most for us is also the thing that we want most from him. And God grant that that would be our one and only priority. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.